Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Happy Tuesday, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Mark Matthews, Head of Research Asia at Bank Julius Baer, and welcome to our weekly market update. On Monday, the S&P came roaring back 2.6%, its best day since July 27. The market liked the fact that the main forward-looking gauge of economic activity in the United States, that's the Institute for Supply Management's Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index, it came in at just 50.9 in September. Just to remind you, above 50 signals expansion, below 50 means contraction. August, it had been 52.8. Consensus was looking for 52 in September. So it was worse than the market expected, but it was one of those good news is bad news things in the sense that weaker manufacturing production should lead to weaker demand or it should mean weaker demand. And that in turn should mean lower inflation. And that in turn should let the Federal Reserve adopt a less hawkish stance. And the Fed's 180-degree turn from dovish to hawkish back in January is the reason why markets are down so much this year. We all know that. The Fed's getting leaned on from some pretty big voices these days. Two weeks ago, in a television interview that went viral on the internet, Wharton Business School professor Jeremy Siegel said, and I'll quote him now, he said, The excess of monetary growth in 2020 and 2021 was inexcusable, in my opinion. It's caused all the inflation. And now the Fed caused all this inflation, and I think they're moving too far in the other direction. He said, I see inflation going down everywhere. For example, the federal housing price index went down by the most in more than 10 years. The Case-Shiller Home Price Index also went down on a month-on-month basis. Home prices are going down, is what Professor Siegel said. And he said, the Fed saying we've got to be tighter for longer can drive this country into a recession, a deep recession, end of quote. Now, Bank of America's fixed income analysts also put out a note on Friday that was indicating the same. And they said as a result of the Fed's rapid tightening, their credit stress indicator, so that measures distress, dispersion, and debt to enterprise values, is just below what they deem to be the so-called critical zone above which they say dysfunction may occur. And they wrote, I'm going to quote them now, these credit conditions warrant slower rate hikes from the Fed and or a pause to allow the economy to adjust to the extreme tightening. The big question is what breaks first to prompt the Fed to change their tune. End of quote. Now, the last person to speak that I want to mention to you was uh, just yesterday, Ed Yardini president and chief investment strategist of Yardini Research. He was actually an economist at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York a long time ago. He's considered one of the biggest market gurus. And he said on television, I'm going to quote him here, I'm totally stumped, mystified, surprised that Fed officials do not seem to acknowledge that just focusing on the Fed funds rate, which is a part of the monetary tightening cycle, is a mistake. When you also have quantitative tightening in a soaring dollar, he said, There are very restrictive monetary developments. I think they have one more rate hike coming in November, and that will be it, because the financial stability issue will pop up as a primary concern. End of quote from Ed Yardini. And they're all right. Financial instability is starting to become an issue. 
The first crack was in Britain last week when there was this strange corner of the market where pension funds were involved in leveraged transactions that were supposed to enhance their returns in an ultra-low interest rate environment. It worked very well for a number of years, but then they got overly aggressive doing them, and when rates went up, they couldn't handle the margin requirements. So the Bank of England was forced to go out and buy a bunch of bonds to create liquidity so those pension funds could sell their bonds in an orderly manner to cover their margin requirements. But stress has also been building across the credit market from B-rated firms all the way to AAA. You might have been hearing recently, just in the last couple of days, about a financial product called a credit derivative swap. You could think about it as a kind of insurance to protect investors against credit defaults. Now, it would be very bad form of me to comment specifically on individual banks that are being talked about in the media. I'm also not an expert on their finances. But for some banks, let me just say, one-year credit derivative swaps have gone from about 20 to 50 basis points back at the beginning of the year to about 120, to up as high as even 520 basis points today, today being the 4th of October. That sounds very dramatic. That's a tenfold move. But What does it actually mean? Well, I'll do a simple calculation for the highest one so you can understand, the one that's trading at 520 basis points. If you want to convert that to a default risk, you just divide it by the potential default. Let's use Lehman Brothers' unsecured creditors in 2008 as a benchmark. They lost 60% back then. So the calculation would be 5.2%, that's 520 basis points, divided by 60%, divided by 0.6, 5.2 divided by 0.6, well, what you get is 8.7%, meaning the chance of defaulting in the next 12 months implied by the one-year CDS is 8.7%. And the way we can interpret that, I think, is that, yes, the chance of default has gone up, but 8.7 is still makes it a pretty unlikely event. Just by means of example, 2011, Morgan Stanley's one-year CDS also got up to 520 basis points, It's still chugging along today. In fact, it's doing very well. What this does do, though, or what it should do at least, is make the Federal Reserve aware that financial markets are becoming fragile. And I'm not saying it's suddenly going to shift to buying bonds again, like the Bank of England did last week, but it might want to tailor its rhetoric a little bit to a slightly less hawkish one, where it isn't constantly talking asset prices lower and interest rates higher. That would prevent the stresses that we're seeing in the financial markets from escalating. That's what Bank of America's analysts wrote. And by the way, to Professor Siegel's point about housing prices, I might add that they're important because property is the biggest part of both the consumer price index and the personal consumption expenditure index. Those are the two big inflation indices. According to Apartments.com, only eight of the 40 largest property markets in America saw rental price increases in August over July. Five saw zero growth, 27 saw decreases, and an analyst at Bloomberg calculated, assuming a 20% down payment and the current average 30-year mortgage rate, somebody paying a $2,500 a month mortgage today would only be able to buy a house worth $450,000. Last year, they could have bought a house worth $750,000. So those are just two examples of how there really are signs the property prices are coming down, and there really are signs in property in many other places inflation is coming down in general. Turning to markets, the S&P fell 9.3% last month. Now, September is usually a bad month since the end of World War II. It went down on average 0.6%. 
But very rarely did you see a decline of more than 9% in the last 50 years. That only happened three other times. There were only six when it was down more than 7%. And those six, when the S&P fell more than 7% in September, were followed by Octobers that were up on average 4.3%. And five out of the six were up. The only one that went down was 2008. After the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers in September, the S&P went on to fall another 17% in October. We don't expect a repeat of that. I might also add, since I mentioned seasonality, that even though there's only 14 weeks left in this year, historically, five of the 10 best weeks of the year in the S&P are among those 14 left this year. The market tends to have its strongest returns around the turn of the year. So to conclude, I'd like to say we think we're now in the early innings of the bottoming process, the tail end of the downtrend in this cyclical bear market that we've had since January. It's not going to be V-shaped. For one thing, the jury's still out on if we're going to escape a recession or not. But if we do have a recession in America, it shouldn't be very bad because there's very special circumstances in the labor market today with millions of workers who were missing when the economy reopened. They're still missing today. So labor finally has some wage bargaining power, and that's compensated workers for inflation to an extent. And so for the market, there'll be plenty of time to figure out what's the best stance to take in becoming more constructive. This is Mark Matthews signing off for now. I wish you a great week ahead, and I'll speak to you next Tuesday. Goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.